Good morning uh, and happy Sabbath. I want to welcome everyone physically here, everyone watching online, and, and everyone listening online. Let's uh, let's begin with prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we pause in our morning to acknowledge you as our Creator and our Redeemer. Thank you for another Sabbath day that you've given us, uh, another week to um, grow in our knowledge of your, your character and your methods and government. Uh, please guide our study today um, as we open our minds and, and please open our hearts to uh, receive the Holy Spirit. Please be with those of our group who are not with us and bring them safely back in the weeks ahead. In the name of Jesus, amen. We're studying lesson number eight today uh, in our quarterly uh, entitled Discernment, the, Safe, the Safeguard of Revival. Um. My first thought in reading the title is, what is discernment? Any, any, any um, I mean, I looked it up in the dictionary, but it gave me some insight, but discernment, I've always thought of discernment as something like, you don't exactly know what it is, but you recognize it when you see it. Um, any thoughts on, on what, what your opinions on what discernment is or what it represents? Judgment. Understanding. Okay. Those two could be synonymous. So when you see something that demonstrates the characteristics of the enemy, you know, coercion and stuff like that, you recognize it. And when you see God working in his spirit, or that's a certain spirit, recognizing the spirit underneath. Okay. So Eve is taking it more along the spiritual discernment, which is which is where we're going to go uh, shortly. I, I was just I was more curious about the word itself. Um, one of the definitions is the quality of being able to grasp and comprehend what is obscure. Uh, in other words, a skill in discerning. Any thoughts on that? Um, how does how does that definition apply spiritually, or does it? It says that you know we don't see God clearly right now. And I think that's you know, for two reasons. One, because of our own nature, and the other, because there is an enemy trying to obscure the vision of God. All right, we, we, we look through a glass darkly, I believe, is, is, the, is the passage. But uh, don't ask me to give a reference. Cause... Um, so, yes, uh, so certainly uh, we, could, we could make a favorable argument that the character of God has been obscured. Um, Eve said, "By by our own natures, uh, in, other, in other words, our our genetic code of being born into uh, this world of sin, with the the DNA mutations that have occurred since um, Adam and Eve had their first child. What what else is obscuring the uh, the character and, and nature of God? Man's distortions. Okay, human distortions. Where 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 did those originate?" The philosophical ideologies. Okay, I think it went further back than that. I think they, I think they originated in heaven. There has been, there's been a being who has, who has uh, clouded our, uh, not only our understanding about God, but uh, a third of, third of the angels. I mean, comprehend that for a minute. Angels who. 
walked among the fiery stones. Uh, angels who uh, were able to see God face to face. They knew his government. They, they, knew, they knew his character. They, they veiled their lips when they spoke his name. They veiled their eyes when, when uh, they were in his presence. Um, the, there, was, there, was no, there was no misunderstanding to be had until they believed lies that they were told. Um, and consider the ramifications of that as we as we go into uh, in further in depth into studying discernment. Sometimes, and I'm speaking for myself here. Sometimes we get a bit arrogant and think, "Yeah, I'll, I'd be able to recognize a an evil spirit if I came into contact with one." Really? If they were easily recognizable, we wouldn't be so easily deceived. Correct. Well said. If if this if this same malevolent spirit can can deceive uh, a third of the heavenly host, what chance do we in our fallen state have? <laughs> Only with the, the help of the spirit, Holy Spirit, and with a an in depth relationship and knowledge of Jesus of Nazareth. It's a daily battle. Yes, it is. Yeah. So much of what we see in the world appears very beautiful and wonderful, and it's and right. turns out to be very evil. It's, it's Correct. very easy to understand how we get deceived. Yes, it is. Um, no definition of discern. To recognize or identify as separate and distinct. Uh, another word, to discriminate. And the, the sentence they use it in, or the phrase they use it is to discern right from wrong. And the third definition is to come to know or recognize mentally. Um, I like the third definition, to come to know. The, the way we get to be able to discern the, uh, the ways and methods and principles of God's government is we come to know them. One of the, one of the things that I, um, I deal with in my practice is what what an abnormal joint feels like it's the feel of of an abnormal joint either a joint that's too tight or too loose and the only way to know that is to know what a normal joint feels like so you have a you have a um you have a benchmark you have a you have a starting place um a friend of mine here is a radiologist the only way that you get to recognize an abnormal MRIs know what a normal MRI looks like, right? So we have to know, we have to be able to know the ways and methods and principles of God's government in order to be able to discern and to recognize what's contrary to that. Um, there's some there's some things in the notes about the origin of the uh, the word, which I'm not going to get into right now. Um, someone read the first paragraph in Sabbath's lesson. Yeah, I'll read the yeah first paragraph. Early in my ministry. Early in my ministry, I studied with a family in rural Tennessee. One day, a large man walked into the room smoking a big cigar. He then declared that the Lord had healed him from lung cancer. Any thought? Any thoughts on this story? (laughs) 
<laughs> What's the relevance? That was my first thought. <laughs> How's this been into discernment? Thank you for saying what I was too afraid to. <laughs> How do, does this relate to discernment? I mean, does my second thought was, you know, how do, how do the two law concepts uh, fit into this story? You know, does 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 the cigar smoker believe that um, he, he he was miraculously healed and now he's able to go about and continue uh, destructive behavior, or is is the natural law at work the violation of? Law of respiration. Certainly. I think of Tim's analogy that we're free to believe anything we want, but all beliefs are not healthy. Correct. That's right. That's right. I like Tim. I like the way Tim says it doesn't matter what you believe as long as what you believe in doesn't matter. Okay. If, If you believe that the law of gravity doesn't apply to you, then you could be in trouble. Wendell. His lungs may have been healed, but go and sin no more. Yes, correct. You know, and right. Sometimes we don't know that. You know, we, that's, that's right. Now, in, in this one particular issue, I think most Americans, at least because of health warnings, are aware of the health deleterious effects of, of smoking. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I mean... There are many things of which I'm ignorant, but I'm probably doing damage. Right. That I have to be gracious to those who are. Um... Again, well said. Uh, one of my one of my first girlfriends when I moved to California, her father was an attorney, and he he gave up cigarette smoking and took up cigar smoking because he didn't want lung cancer. <laughs> he ended up getting throat cancer. And committed suicide when it metastasized to his bone, and he didn't want to deal with um, didn't want to deal with the, the protracted uh, treatment and issues of bone cancer. So he got a physician friend of his to mix up a uh, a lethal cocktail. He sat his family down, told him, "This is what I'm going to do. You guys go have lunch, and I won't be here when you get back." So. Um, what um let's let's go ahead let's move on to Sunday's lesson. The the lesson states that all true spirituality is focused on knowing God and doing his will, and I couldn't agree more. Um isn't the the, the very root of all spiritual discernment um the knowledge of God and his ways and methods and principles? Again, going back to the idea that in order to recognize abnormal, we have to know, we have to have a baseline of what normal is. Any thoughts? Any crickets? Yes. As I was reading through this, it just is very important to me, and and I know this is what you meant, but in my own mind, going back to some of the definitions of words Mm -hmm. that I had. It's really important to me to understand that all true spirituality is focused on knowing God and His revelation of reality. When I use the word will, it's like something imposed, something that isn't 
option, uh, one option of many options, but this one happens to be God's will. And I've come to understand that it's there aren't options. God's character and nature are the only options. That's the only way life exists. Right. And I would say spirituality, all true spirituality, is focused on knowing God and understanding his revelation of that reality. That's that's absolutely well said, and I, I thank you for, for bringing that up. Um, my, in fact, it looks like you're reading my notes. And my next question is, what is God's will? Jesus told us what his will was, I think, in John 6 or 8, where he says, you know, the will of God is that all who believe in me would be saved. Correct. It's as simple as that. You know, he loves us, he wants us to be saved. God wants all of his children saved. The Hitlers, the Stalins, the um, Bin Ladens, you name it. Yeah, you and me as well. Um, That is God's will. And have you ever considered that the God doesn't always get his way? I mean, think about it. You know, we we think about we we think about these in human terms. You know, you know, God imposing his will on humanity, or we're imposing our will on a, a uh, unruly child. That's that's not how it works. That's not how a God of freedom uh, and love and freedom works. And, and like you said, like you well said, uh, God's will is, is, the only, is the only pathway to life in the universe. The, the rest of the universe is following his will. They've, they've made it their own. They've accepted it and, and are living it. This, this planet is the only, the only one that isn't. So any, any more uh, details on God's will or another comment? It wouldn't be because you know the whole universe is following God's will because He's all powerful, and if they don't, He's going to zap them. It's because that's the natural way. That's the most healthy way. Right. They live life. They've learned. They've developed characters. Uh, there's a, there's an Ellen White reference, and I I don't know where it is. If if anyone knows, uh, feel free to shout it out. But she suggests that other intelligent worlds had a similar set of trees. You know, in in separate gardens, and they didn't they didn't choose rebellion. They chose to, they chose to develop their character, follow the pathway of life, and now now they're observing our planet. You know, to see how this thing ends up. Actually, their minds were settled when Christ yielded His life. That's why Revelation says, "Rejoice, you heavens." Because in heaven, in the heavens, the decision was made. Satan was unmasked as a murderer, a liar. Christ was uh, Christ's character was revealed. God's character was revealed that he would lay, that he would give down lay out down his own life in order to uh, save his creation. So every other mind was made up except humans. Yes, it's amazing how God worked in our life, and uh, His math is different than us. He can multiply by takeaway. Look, uh, yelled, you know, and that's what happened in our lives. You know, sometimes that needs to happen in our lives. So, thank you, Wendell. You know, God's will being narrow. You know, um, it, you know the statement 
God's will is the only way. That sounds very narrow. It does. But it's extremely wide. It's extremely expansive. More expansive than we can comprehend. He created us as beings in his own likeness. Mm -hmm. With free will. And, you know, often we look at what is God's will for my life. God's will for my life is that I be a creative being and be more expansive than my own imagination has the finite little track that I'm walking on. You know, his will is that we be um, complete and expansive and creative and, and whatnot. It's not a narrow thing. Yeah, and beyond that, it's that we be restored into the original nobility and the likeness that Adam and Eve were created with the, the capacity to recreate and the capacity to <clears throat> take in the love of God and to for that love to flow out to others. And his will is that we be freed. You know, if you had children that were trapped here trapped by their indulgences, trapped by their addictions, trapped by their ignorance or their foolishness or their busyness, every kind of trap you can think of we're caught in, mm-hmm. and you saw your children all trapped in every kind of trap there is, your will would be they would be freed from those traps. Uh, again. Especially when you have the capability of assisting, if they would just let you. Thank you. Uh, also well said. Yeah. The, pa- the pathway to life is freedom. It's... In fact, it's the only freedom in the universe. I mean, how many of you? How many of you have ever seen a heroin addict? How many of you were envious of that guy laying in the gutter with a with a needle sticking out of his elbow, one of the blown out veins in his elbow? Uh, I knew a nurse one time that um, there was. She did an internship at Johns Hopkins University. She said that uh, the heroin addict women would get pregnant solely for the means of engorging their breast veins so they'd have a place to shoot up because they'd blown out every other vein in their in their system. Does that sound free? Now, how many of you are envious of that? How many of you are envious of the cigarette smoker or the uh, the child molester? No, it doesn't make sense. These people aren't free. God's promise is real freedom. Um, uh, again, in Monday's lesson, the lesson states, the word of God is the foundation and heart of all true, true revival. Um, how then can we have upwards of 34,000 different sects of Christianity all using the same word of God? It, is there something else? Is there something else that might need to be involved? Any thoughts? You already mentioned discernment. (laughs) (laughs) We have mentioned discernment several times. Well, I I go back to freedom. There are a lot of Bible-believing, Christian, obedient, rule-abiding folks who are not free. They are just as trapped and in bondage as the heroin addict. Well said. Is there something else? Is there something beyond just reading the Bible, the Word of God? 
that uh, is necessary for true spiritual revival, the heart of all true revival. Experiencing his will in your life. Okay, so perhaps even experiencing the revival. So we have two of the three threads. Uh, is, is there anything that science can bring to the table? Evidence. Evidence. Evidence of of the true character of God as as exhibited as as we can see in nature. We can see evidence of. We see evidence of Satan's character in nature, and we can see evidence of God's character in nature. We need to be discerning. The eunuch was reading, and you don't know what he said. So all his peers say it's Philip. Mm-hmm. So sometimes we need, you know, some... Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we, we often need help in discerning uh, the Word of God. Does it also matter um, our starting point or our internal biases? Okay. The, the the word of, let me I'll tell you the word of God holds it almost it holds a very different meaning for me now than it did ten years ago because I believe in a different type of God ten years ago. Yes. I'm just kind of thinking out loud. Thinking out, thinking out louder. <laughs> but I've been thinking a lot about these three aspects of discerning truth. The three threads, the scripture, science, and evidence, and uh, experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and science really is just the study of nature, uh, the study of everything really outside of us. So when we talk about those three threads, could it be God's word, my internal experience, and my observation of external experience, or external existence, my internal existence, and the Bible? Um, I'm not sure if I entirely follow. It sounds reasonable. I mean, just sometimes when we say science, it seems a little... Um, Clinical, cold. Yes, and like, well, what what opportunity that do, do I really have the same opportunity to apply science as, say, a nuclear physicist? But at the same time, I can still observe outside of myself and bring what my individual internal experience has been and observe what happens outside of me very discerningly mm-hmm. and match that up. I would suggest you might have a better opportunity than a nuclear physicist. Um, many nuclear physicists are coming or standing on a foundation of sand in that they believe that... Uh, Things happen by chance, or some big explosion, you know, billions of years ago. And yet, watching externally, we could look at that and go, "What? Mm-hmm. Why would that be? Why would you think that?" Right. Agreed. Any other? Was there another hand? Oh, there's a hand in the back. Yes. Uh, concerning the diversity of the churches. I was thinking that we need the Holy Spirit's aid to understand what the Bible is actually saying, the author's intent, as in what it's true, versus what we want to say and what we want to hear. A lot of times, or especially in the modern generation, is not what the author was saying, but what the reader pulls out of it. And it can be totally different than the intent or the actual meaning. Uh, 
Yeah, absolutely. We absolutely need the Holy Spirit's um, guidance, uh, not only in studying Scripture, but in looking at science and scientific evidence and and with our own experience. That just reminds me of the thing that's often said in class here is, is you can look at what the Bible says, but then we need to take that step and say, that's what it says, now what does that mean? What does it mean? Or what actually, how are we, if we're looking at some historical thing, what actually happened? That's right. You know, we, need to, we need to be discerning and carry it several steps further. Linda? We're assisted with this process. It's not like we're on the journey all by ourselves, haplessly figuring it out. Correct. And Jesus says, I knock at the door, and that's maybe somebody bringing it to your attention. And if anybody hears me and lets me in, I will sup with them. Mm-hmm. Then also take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm meek and lowly, and you'll find rest. You know, God brings ability to embed his thought processes and his ways with you. He brings the food. <laughs> you open the door, he comes in and brings the food. He brings supper, right. And gives you what you need. You know, the insights, the discernment, the wisdom. I think we pray to God to give me this, give me that, I want that, give, you know, do this for me, do that for them. And I think more we should be inclined to pray for God's point of view. Mm-hmm fit into God's point of view for that person or for ourselves or in this situation. You know, he's very capable of giving you his understanding. Your job is to just open the door. Right. And he will lead you on that journey. And we may start at different points and have different biases and different lens, so he has to use different techniques. Mm-hmm. But he's proven himself very capable of understanding our minds and using every kind of technique, even ones you wouldn't even think of. Right. To try to keep you on track and get you away from this danger or that. Your job is to just let that Holy Spirit give you, take what is Christ and give it to you. Thank you. Well said. One more hand and then we move on. Yes. It's very easy for humans to open the door to Christ when he knocked the door. As soon as we suffer, and say goodbye, Jesus. I've got to get busy in my business. <laughs> you know what I find is very, very, very good to become admins of the seven days. And instead of being admin seven day Adventist, I said that before. So we need to actually, I found that why God write that a lot in our heart. It's because He wants us through the week be good boys to good girls. Right. Come in. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there he is. He's knocking. It's good. It's very good. Uh, Monday's lesson, entitled God's Love and His Law. Is there any difference in God's love and His law? Are they synonymous? I think they're synonymous. This is from... uh, I can't, I'm drawing a blank. Amazing Grace, A.G., Amazing Grace. God is the life giver. From the beginning, all his laws were ordained to life. Hmm. But sin broke in upon the order that God had established, and discord followed. So long, so long as sin exists, suffering and death are inevitable. Wrap your minds around that. It is only because the Redeemer has borne the curse of sin in our behalf that man has any hope to escape in his own person, it's dire results. Any thoughts? It is humbling. What what, uh, what do you think that last passage means? It is only because the Redeemer has borne the curse of sin in our behalf that man has any hope to escape. 
that can be that can be that can be misunderstood, right? You know, we could uh, we can imagine that uh, God was punishing Christ for me in my place. Well, I look at or it, I look at it like if you think and we talk about infection a lot of times. I think venom. <laughs> I think if, if we have been poisoned by the venom of sin, we've been bitten by the snake, so to speak, and we're mm-hmm. Christ had to be bitten by the snake to create anti-venom, so to speak, that we can now take and survive and overcome the venom that is, is killing us. Okay. Yeah, he, he, was, he was certainly tempted by sin. I don't know that he was bitten by it, but he was, he was tempted. He was the one that was able to extract the venom. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's, yeah, that, that holds up better. But yeah, I see your point. No, it's not an antivenom. It's an immunity. Right, it's an immunity. Okay. I don't know the biochemistry of, of antivenom and... and Okay, well, my herpetology is a little rusty. <laughs> I'm not sure that's what you call someone to study snakes. The question of uh, death existing, that's only the first death, that's not the second death, though. So we're, we're all the way back to even if this broken world, we experience the first death, of uh, cessation of this life, we don't have to experience the second death of separation from God for eternity. God, uh, Christ was able to restore that trusting relationship and that loving relationship. And so the second death can be spared. Okay. Um, in Monday's lesson, it says, Revival is all about knowing Jesus. It is a reawakening, a reawakening of the spiritual faculties of the soul. It is a personal and vital experience with the Savior. Knowing Jesus, really knowing him as a friend, is the essence of all revival. From the depth of his personal experience with Jesus, the Apostle Paul shared that he is praying for the Ephesians to, quote, know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Uh, again, I think this is very well said by the lesson. Um, this this lesson... Um, I think this lesson this quarter is is very very well done. Yes, um, I agree. That statement rings very solidly true. But if you turn the page back, um, go ahead. All the next to last, well, the last paragraph on Sunday. Okay. The true revival is discovering God's will as manifest in God's work. It almost sounds like two different people wrote this lesson. <laughs> they may have. They may have. Um, it may have been written by one and edited by someone else. Strangely enough, yes. To read that again for me, please, From for us. Yeah. The essence of true revival is discovering God's will is manifest in God's word. Now, okay. if we look at that as, you know, discovering God's will, you know, studying Jesus, um, getting to know him, and thus, you know, just, you know, finding out what his will is for us, which is to be healed and stuff, then that would be accurate. But it seemed like it was a... You know, first they say one thing, and then they say something else. And I agree with the second one more fully. You know, it was that hmm. the Yeah, I, I didn't catch that, but uh, thank you. I guess it certainly is open to 
to misinterpretation. Uh, I don't think it's God's will that David uh, extolled the virtues of smashing his enemy's babies' heads on rocks. Uh, I don't think it's God's will that uh, I can't remember the name of the the Old Testament figure who said, you know, swore an oath to sacrifice the first thing that came out of a tent, and his daughter came out, and he went through with it. I don't think that was God's will. Uh, and, and we need to be discerning about God's ways and methods and principles to to filter through some of that stuff. Yes, Wendell? Speaking of, of um, God's love and his law, um, you know, in, in school, we often had to read poetry from someone. <laughs> yes, we did. And, and yet some of these poets were writing poetry about the person they loved. Mm-hmm. They, they were in a relationship with someone who they very much admired, and they tried to describe in verbiage who this person was, what they were like, and everything else. But some of us have gotten those poems and are trying by our own will to look like that poem. Mm. That doesn't work. Mm. You know? Only if we are uh, transformed by God and has His Spirit in our lives do we become someone who is like that poem. Uh, that's 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 a very good point. Thank you. Um, I would not have brought poetry into this discussion, but I appreciate you doing that. <laughs> yes? What he says triggers a thought in my head. It's, it's almost like a woman trying to read Proverbs 31 and make herself into a virtuous woman. Mm. Without the help of the Holy Spirit. Right. Oh, look, I stay up late and make linens for my household. You know, mm. useless. Right. Yes, in the back, we have a comment... Uh, from online? Yes. One of our online members said um, the paragraph on Monday, lower paragraph on Monday, says, um, why is obedience pleasing to Christ? Okay. Um, the, the, the listener asks uh, the question, it reiterates the question from Monday's lesson, why is obedience pleasing to Christ? Any answers? Because he enjoys seeing his children happy and healthy. <laughs> That's correct. Because he, he because he obedience is life. And he doesn't want us and, to hurt each other. And you know? above and beyond that, uh, obedience rendered from love is life. Let me let me define that a little better. Um, obedience. Again, there's a there's a Ellen White passage. I can't quote it. Some like you know, obedience rendered from with a, a an unwilling spirit uh, inspires rebellion. Or I'm, I, that's a gross paraphrase. But um, the history has shown us that obedience obedience without a relationship with God is not necessarily life. There were there was a group of people who were obeying the law of God, the written law of God, and when God came and walked among them, they murdered him. So, um, there has to be a, a little something else above and beyond obedience. Okay, I've got three hands. Let's back in the back again. But they weren't obeying the law of love. They were just obeying their interpretation of the law. Correct. That's right. 
They weren't. They they weren't obeying the law of love, and they weren't willing to recognize the law of love when it walked among them, and they weren't willing to admit the error of their ways when the Holy Spirit convicted them of it. Yes. You had a hand up? going to say that Jesus said, you do err not knowing the scriptures, and they did greatly in many ways. Right. You search the world over to find a convert, and when you find him, you make him twice the son of hell that he was before. You had your hand up? Yes. Um, in Birmingham, on the <coughs> courthouse or the, the jail, it says, um, we are in bondage to the law that we might be free. I think it was said by Cicero. Mm-hmm. That's like, that sums it up. We're free because we're in bondage. We have liberty because we're under the... Well, there was also a sign on Auschwitz that says, work will make you free. Yeah. <laughs> you want to think about that one for a while? Yeah. I, I actually need to process both of those. Um, my, my, my concern is that, you know, the, the Cicero quote is referring to imposed law. Um, how we're... The only, the only way we can be considered in bondage to natural law is because it's the law of life. And if you if you want to free yourself from the law of life, then what happens? You die. However, that's the kind of thing that Paul expressed, is that he was a slave, he was a servant. Yeah, he did, he did refer in those terms. Of, he was kind of taking what she was saying and saying, I, I am in bondage to Jesus Christ. Right. So I think he got it. Mm-hmm. Yes. According to Tuesday's lesson, the text in Tuesday's lesson, it's incorrect to say that the Pharisees were obedient. Jesus said that inside they were full of greed yeah. and that they substituted their own tradition for God's commandments. Uh, I, again, yeah, well said. Uh, I, I don't, I don't have any issue with that. They, they were, they were in obedience to their written law, and it was a law that they had bastardized significantly since it was handed down from Mount Sinai and, and before. But according to the written law, they were following the precepts, and and he called them out on it. And he said they're whitewashed tombs uh, in the in the back. Our online listeners said it's important to understand the difference between the imposed law kind of obedience and the actual law of God, which is the law of love. Yeah, absolutely, and that's that's one of the. I think that's one of the. Um, that's one of the, for me, that's one of the best things that's come out of out of this class and this study and the, in the eight or so years I've been attending is the fleshing out of the differences between the imposed and the natural law constructs, that along with the, the three threads of evidence that we talked about earlier. Uh, the, the, for those, me, those two things are, are very, very important. Yes? So would there be a difference between conformity and their obedience? Pharisees were conforming to the laws, but when God says obey, that's a heart condition. Well, yes, true, true obedience, you know, comes out from a, a, a love. Uh, yeah, no question. And you can, if someone if someone doesn't believe in the laws of health, but they follow them anyway, do they get the benefit of it? Yes. Yeah. 
Sure. Yes, sir, there was a hand in the back. I was going to say that when we're talking about this obedience out of love versus obedience outside of love, that, that there really is no obedience outside of love. Mm-hmm. Like, that that's just not obeying God's law. That's a, a, obeying is that words, but you can't obey God's law from from outside of a loving space. Um, hmm. This law is founded on love. It is, but you know, again, you know, he 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 wrote the health laws as well, and and we we just we just um, but, but we, we can stated that we can to get all of the benefits of the laws of health if we don't believe in them. Because if we do them and don't believe in them, a that's kind of like can you make a square circle? But b if you do something that you don't believe in, that's got to be highly stressful and mess with your mind pretty badly. So I don't think you can be really of them. Fair points. Okay, we got lots of hands. All right, I'm going to try to get them in an orderly fashion. Eve? I just wanted to say that we need to be careful with our language when we say that obedience um, stems out of love because then we're moving back into the imposed law almost. You know, it's, it's, it's not just that I love God that I want to obey. It's that his law in me changes me. So that I naturally obey his law. And not only that, but you exercise your free will because you have a knowledge that his law is life. You understand his ways and methods and principles. You agree with them and you freely conform or obey them because you know that it's the best way to live. And because you become like Christ. Yeah, and Christ lives within you. The Christ object lesson is a statement that we've mentioned in here in this class many times before. Mm-hmm. The man who attempts to keep the commandments of God from a sense of obligation merely because he's required to do so will never enter into the joy of obedience. He does not obey. When the requirements of God are accounted a burden because they cut across human inclination, we may know that the life is not a Christian life. <clears throat> True obedience is the outworking of a principle within. Thank you. That's the quote that I had in my mind. Yes, ma'am. On my way here this morning, there was a line down the middle of the street and a line on the side. Mm-hmm. And I'm quite happy to be here that I respected those two lines. My vehicle's not smashed against the telephone pole, and I don't have any broken bones. I was restrained, but I'm very blessed. Okay, so you, you conform to the law, the law of the land, and the laws of physics, and this, that, and the other. Why did you do that? Exactly. Did you did you do that because out of a sense of fear that a policeman might ticket you, or did you do that because it's the best way, it's the safest way to drive? Well, I wanted to get here, and, <laughs> and we're glad you did. I'm just thinking I could be standing here someday, not in class, but facing somebody behind there. No. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to get hurt, so maybe there were some selfish reasons there. But I don't think God wanted me to get hurt either. I don't think He did either. Got a hand here, and there were a couple over here that I I want to get to as well. Yes. Uh, The rich John ruler, he knows the law by memory. But when Jesus told, "Well, you're ready to graduate. You want to graduate today? Yes, sir. Well, go get already your stuff, and that's the biggest." hard for humans to do, you know? We're so attached to this world. And 14 years ago, I, I did 
something amazing in my life. I said, I'm going to close my business. I'm only going to work for, for missions. Like, and the Lord has been directing me so good. My wife left me 14 years ago. I decided to love and love Jesus, you know. Mm-hmm. Listen, what happened? I worked for ministries there and here. I learned more and more. <coughs> and you know, the Bible said to look for the widows. Feed the poor, and uh, the Lord put me this young lady here, Brenda, in the wheelchairs to take care of her. I never did it in my life. I did other things, you know. I'm a massage therapist, naturopath, builder. I do a lot of things. But the Lord, I, I said, Lord, I'm going to date you. I'm not going to look anymore because I feel young. I want to get married one day. Fourteen years, the Lord keep me sane. Here was, I was working with Brenda. She needs somebody. She needs some, need somebody to take care of her. Everybody left her because they don't they can't do that. And the Lord sent a young nurse you to take care of her. And we both fell in love because I never said anything to her, I never looked for nobody. So I present you my friend. Uh, Holly, pray for us. We in love. She never found to look for nobody, but uh, serve the Lord. And God, you don't need to look for it. Seeking the kingdom of heaven first and his righteous, and the Lord's going to, you know, serve the Lord. So. Amen. Thank you for sharing that. And we're happy to have you both here, all of you here. There were a couple of hands over here. Yes, sir. Just real brief. I was going to say that the struggle that I have with the word obey is it gives us the connotation of a, the penal system. That's right. I think Graham quite often used Graham Maxwell um, the word trust as a as a cinnamon to it and cinnamon, <laughs> um, but it it, it uh, the word trust gives a, a, a relationship concept as opposed to a you know obedience normally means that you know it's 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 an imposed law and it's something that I have to overcome, but um, but a, a trust is a relationship it, you know. I, you know, I have a, a trust with my wife, my family, my friends. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I build that relationship, then I'm not doing things because it pleases them. I'm doing it because it's just the right thing to do. It's understanding. Yeah, thank you. That's, that's very well said. Yes, next to you. I don't think we can really trust and obey if we walk in the flesh. If we walk in our carnality, we cannot really trust and obey. This is like absolutely impossible. And Romans 3, verses 10 to 20 actually describes that. And we cannot obey law just, you know, by ourselves. The law, the only reason why the law is good is to show us, as it says in Romans 3, 20, for through the law comes the knowledge of sin. So we really see that we are incapable of trusting, we are incapable of obeying, we are incapable of doing anything. That's why we need the presence of the Holy Spirit and Christ in us, the hope of glory. That's why we can do what it says in Romans 8, 2, for the law of spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free. And then we indeed are free to obey, mm-hmm. we obey naturally. And I think it's just the new spirit-created person in us that is actually capable of doing that. Thank you. Yes. I like what he said back there from Grant Maxwell. Another thing that he also said was that the word obey actually comes from a word meaning a willingness to listen. So 
really a deep willingness to engage with God, listen to his side, take it in, not just blindly say, this is what I want, this is what God says, I will obey, but listen to his side, his rationale, his revelation. Come and reason with him. Right. There's something about that process that uh, is transforming, isn't it? Yeah. Is there a hand over here? Yes. Really like my friend here, and um, in the lesson on Monday, near the bottom, there's some things here that are kind of mixed together in my mind. Knowing God always leads to obedience. This is the last paragraph. Well, not actually the last, in the middle of the page. Knowing God always leads to obedience. God's law reveals his love. A deeper relationship with Christ leads to a greater desire to please Christ. Um, that sounds like moral influence theory that we've we've been accused of is the fruit of teaching. So mm-hmm. Kind of, there's a lot of stuff in there, but I think we've we've discerned here a little bit that obedience can happen on several levels. It's it's been a few weeks ago. I think Wendell brought that on in, in his when he let out, and, mm-hmm. and but what Eve described is kind of the the ultimate goal um, beyond just pleasing Christ and keeping happy with him is is being literally transformed so that we agree fully with what he wants for us and understand it as best as we can right now and want to keep going in that direction right way beyond just pleasing him you know going back to the gravity analogy if you if you if you don't step off of a, a skyscraper because you're afraid of your, your parents getting mad at you or you're afraid of getting punished, um, you're still going to get the benefits of, of being in conformity with the law of gravity. But as you, as you mature, as you develop, as you take high school physics uh, and maybe experiment with some things and watch what happens when you drop a watermelon off a building, uh, then wheels start turning you start getting better discernment, uh, and and when you're an adult, you don't step off the building because you're you're in you're in perfect harmony with your understanding of the law of gravity. Uh, one more hand. When we move to Tuesday's lesson, this class has done a paradigm shift as far as I'm concerned, and. Um, bringing semantics and and um, just going in circles, doing a lot of circular reasoning that we get many times from the lesson studies, which really, in, in many cases, from our past understanding, the when they start talking about the law and the, quote, perfect will of God, mm-hmm. what they're talking about is getting their perfectly correct understanding of what it is to accept and believe and keep the Sabbath as the focal point of the law. Now, everybody wants to be right. We want to get it right in this class. And I think Tim has taken it beyond Beyond, and we all have taken it beyond the point of just wanting to be right. 
we want to have the principle in our hearts to do what is right. And we want to have that principle motivated by love. This is the paradigm shift that this class has actually put into each of us, I think. I, I, I can speak for myself and say I agree with you, absolutely. Um, you know, I was just processing this earlier this week. You know, that when we get to heaven, there's going to be there's going to be a lot that we were wrong about. I mean, you think of, think about the staggering amount of knowledge that exists in in humanity today. The scientific knowledge, the knowledge of the way the human body works, the knowledge of the way the uh, you know biochemistry, chemistry, physics, uh, literature. I mean, the 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 amount of knowledge that that is currently known. And then think about how infinite God is beyond, above and beyond that. There's going to, there's going to be a lot that we've, that we're wrong about. And, and we're going to have, we're going to get eternity to, to debate it and to learn and to correct our errors in thinking and judgment and to apologize to some that we've misled. <laughs> think about that. Um, who have discerned, you know, our error and and have uh, have made it there along with us. Uh, it's there's going to be a lot a lot left to learn. And the 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 principle of being teachable and loving what's right because it's right and because it's it's the it's the source of life. Uh, I think is you're right. I think it's 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 key and it's uh, it's foundational to the. To what's uh, been happening in this class? Tuesday's lesson: formalism, fanaticism, and faith. Uh, how many? Um, can you think of any examples of formalism we see in Christianity today, or Adventism, for that matter? I came up with a few. See if we can come up with some more. Well, I've been in churches where you come in the door. <clears throat> there's a script. The leader says part of the script, you say part of the script, they say part of the script, you, and each week it's a different card. Mm. And it's just a script that's kind of gone through, and that's the, you're up, you're down, you're reading the script, and then you're gone, kind of thing. And to mm-hmm. me, that, I've lived in societies where that was the main way of worship, and the, uh, the spiritual reaction to that kind of formalism is coldness, <laughs> you know. Usually. These are a few I listed. Uh, baptism by immersion versus sprinkling, or baptism by an ordained ministry. Sound like formalism? A rote or perfunctory prayer. Only certain types of music allowed in church or allowed on the Sabbath. You ever heard the term Sabbath music? Anybody other than me? What is what is Sabbath music? Ha <laughs> ha! Anything without drums. <clears throat> I'm glad someone has a definition. <clears throat> um, what about the day of worship? Could that be a form of that be part of formalism? Well, might we worship on the correct day and miss the relationship with its creator? Or might we worship on the incorrect day and love with all our hearts and minds and spirits? What foods are acceptable, etc. 
this was this was a big one for me being resistant to new light uh, greater revelations of character of god formalism can uh restrain us from being uh from being illuminated with greater revelations of light yes you know as i'm sitting here listening to you say that i think that is an incredibly important concept for me because I think when we do get new light, and I feel like in this class I have gotten quote-unquote new light, mm-hmm. I think there is a danger in even thinking that you've gotten new light, mm-hmm. in that it can make you, it, well, it can make you resistant to more new light. I mean, everybody got to the point that they are through new light, and it's, it's so exciting, so comforting that you just kind of want to stay there mm-hmm. and at the other end of the extreme we have fanaticism uh following false messiahs what is fanaticism define fanaticism anybody define fanaticism what sabbath music if you extrapolate on the supreme court it's one of those things where you have a hard time defining, but you know it. When you, you know it when you see it. Like, yeah, their definition of obscenity. <laughs> um, because the formalism upholds something more like tradition rather than anything else, and fanaticism is is experience more than anything else. But at the same time, both are in ditches. <laughs> they're two they're two ditches on opposite sides of the road. Correct. Yeah. Uh, some other examples, faith healing, snake handling, speaking in tongues, bombing abortion clinics, or shooting physicians who perform abortions. Belief that if a church doesn't have 10,000 members or more, a coffee shop and its own football team, it has nothing to offer. Or belief that if a church has more than 30 members, it has nothing to offer. A failure to test new light against scripture, known science, and our own experience. So we can be we can be so we can be misled by new light that isn't really light. It's masking as darkness. Uh belief in men only men have anything to contribute to a worship service or a discussion about religion. Anybody? Sound like fanaticism? <clears throat> Um, we are close to out of time. That's okay. The dictionary definition of fanaticism says excessive intolerance of opposing views. <laughs> That's good. That could be formalism as well. Hmm. One last comment, and we'll have to wrap it up. The hardest people I've ever had to deal with are people who are ignorant of that they're totally wrong with what they're saying, but they're very adamant about it. Yes. <laughs> they're zealous about their opinion, which is based on the total lack of knowledge of the way their body works, but they're very zealous about it. Yeah. All, all of us, if, you, if you're in healthcare long enough, you encounter these people who, who are convinced that something they read in Cosmo or something is correct and is gospel and contrary to... You know, your MD or your RN or, or whatever degree and, and background you've had. Yes. You know, I've forgotten most of what I learned in medical school, but and that might be alarming to some, but 
No. I'll never forget is one of the first comments that was made, which is 50% of the stuff that we're teaching you is wrong. The problem is we don't know which 50% it is, so you've got to learn it all. Yep. But how that relates to this is I'm always amazed at, at people's misconception that they've got it right. And, you know, people want to believe that everybody has science. You know, the scientists know, the doctors know. No, they don't. Mm-hmm. And so if, if those people understand that fact, why do other people think that the way it is has got to be the way it is? I mean, you've got to be open to new ideas, new thoughts. What you thought was correct one day just isn't. You have to be open to that possibility or your... That, that probability. That's right. Once again, Okay, one more hand. That goes along saying that that's really hard to do in a religious environment because once you say something is a doctrine, how dare you say it's wrong? That's right. Yep, we're going against 500 years of Protestant tradition. Let's close with prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for thank you for the gift of discernment. Thank you for the knowledge that you have brought me and this class, <clears throat> knowledge of your character, uh, your ways and methods and principles. Uh, thank you for revealing the law of life to us uh, as lived out uh, through your son. Please uh, continue to bless our group, uh, both corporately and individually. And be with Tim as he as he spreads the message throughout the world so that we can hasten your coming. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, amen.